0: The triathlon hour is brought to you by Pillar Performance. I've been locked into my Pillar routine for about two to three months now where I just use the same things every day. And that's triple magnesium and ultra immune C 45 minutes before bed. And then ultra be active when I wake up first thing in the morning with my small breakfast before I train. I I never miss it. And I think if you're going to try Pillar Performance or, or you already use their triple magnesium, but not their other products, then I'd love you to try this combo. I personally just honestly feel better using it. I have done all year if I'm really honest and like I'm someone who usually suffers from a bit of burnout and getting run down or just like fatigued and lacking energy um, but I think I'm having my best year that I can remember in, in quite a while since I was maybe in my, my early 20s or late teens and and I'm not sure like what percentage of, percentage of that to attribute to using Pillar but it has to be playing some some small role in it because I have been doing it consistently and I have been feeling great. I haven't been having that same thing where I'll have like a week really good. And then, you know, a couple of days where I'm off or three weeks really good. And then three to four days when I just need to remove myself from society and sleep on like sleep in and, 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 you know, have a few crappy days. It just hasn't happened to me yet this year. And I haven't been sick. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure how big a role it plays in it, but sleep's important. And uh, I just, I just believe it has to be playing some small role. So if you want to try it for yourself, um, I couldn't recommend it enough. Use the discount code HTD20 for 20% off your order. If you do want to try it, um, let me know how it goes because yeah, I really am interested in hearing other people's opinions on this and if they've had the same experience or not. Andrew, it's been a big six months or so for you. The world champs location change was big. Hamburg was, was big. And now you are announcing you'll be retiring from your role as CEO of Ironman. And I want to unpack it all with you. Firstly, though, <laughs> it would be a little bit remiss of me not to ask you the big question we've all wanted answered, particularly since me and you talked last time. What was it that you were eating for lunch while we did our last podcast together?
1: Oh, I wasn't having a lunch. I was eating an apple. <laughs> it was dinner time in, in Tampa and I was eating a gra- an apple. It was a golden delicious apple and it was quite tasty.
0: Do you, do you think you could have chosen something that's a little quieter to eat? Because like an apple would have to be one of the top three or four loudest foods you could eat on a microphone.
1: Well, it's true, but but I took, you know, so I, I live in California. I think most people know that, but I have an apartment in Tampa. And when I go to the headquarters, I stay in my apartment. It's a little one bedroom tiny little place and because i'm not there all the time you know i have a generally a pretty limited selection of things to choose from when it comes time to eat dinner and uh, the only thing i had available at the time was an apple and so that's what i ate and uh
0: before we do jump into the serious stuff as well um I want to say a big welcome to all the over 60s listening today. Um, love to have you here. Do not hate you, despite what Andrew may have had you believe in the first podcast. Um, anyone of all ages, I'm a big fan of, particularly if you love triathlon. So just, just want to make everyone feel welcome this time, Andrew.
1: I, I appreciate that, Jack. And I also, you know, I, I, I don't want to sell short, you know, the the momentousness of our previous encounter. And so we had Kona the announcements around Kona we had Hamburg we had the Jack Kelly interview you know and then we had my announcement today those have been like the the tent poles of my 2023 year
0: yeah yeah I don't know if that's a good thing that I'm uh I'm uh, in the same conversation as Hamburg but you know it is what it is anyway hopefully we can make this one um uh, an entertaining chat hopefully a little less combative but uh you know, like I'm, I'm prepared to ask you some hard questions. Um, and, and I think there are some hard questions that need to be asked as well as us spending some time talking about, you know, the last 12 years of, of your involvement, um, in the sport of triathlon as, as CEO of Ironman. And my first question that I do want to ask Andrew, it is, it is a bit of a tougher one. Um, or at least it's a bit of a serious one. So the world champs change was big and it had mixed feedback and, then on top of that, like we've talked about, Hamburg was, uh, it was a really hard time for the sport. Probably in my time, probably the hardest thing I've had to watch or, you know, the, the, the thing in my time in triathlon that I've had the hardest time coming to grips with what happened. And this announcement of you retiring, it does come very close on the back of that and off that sort of tumultuous last six or seven months. So is your retirement a hundred percent your own decision and the timing is just a coincidence or is there sort of higher ups, investors, owners behind the scenes in Iron Man who have come to you and said, Hey, it's time for a change. We, 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 we would like you to step aside and, you know, announce it as a retirement, like it was your own decision, but, but actually you were you were forced out of the job.
1: No, it, th- this was my decision and this has been one that has been coming for a while. Um, you know, it, it's this is i've been sitting in this chair for 12 years and it's a long time to sit in to sit in that chair um you know it's not an easy business it's a business that has um a lot of a lot of complexity there's a lot of passion associated with it people care a lot um and and you need a lot of energy frankly to to do the job and You know, in coming out of COVID, it was really important to me to to steer the ship and to lead this organization. Um, And as I think about what the business really needs and, you know, how are we going to bring the continued development of Ironman and Ironman 70.3 in particular, putting aside everything that we're doing on the trail running side, on the road running side, on the road cycling side, on the mountain biking side... You know, we're we're a company that has 250 events a year and it's in multiple sports and it's a lot and every race matters and the athletes that compete, whether they're mountain bikers or road cyclists or road runners or trail runners or triathletes have super high expectations and we work enormously hard to meet those expectations, but the race business is a hard business. And it's one in which things don't always go perfectly, as you know we we saw in Hamburg, and as we saw in Kona in in 2022. You know, it, Kona didn't go according to plan, and that's if you really care, and and you're really passionate about the business, that wears on you, because you want everybody to have the experience of a lifetime, because everyone goes to the starting line thinking that they're going to have. You know the experience of a lifetime and and so it takes a lot of passion and a lot of energy and i've been doing it for a long time and i think that you know the organization and the our board are going to lead a search to find my replacement and I, i'm uh you know i'm going to be a part of that and i think that's we'll find somebody fabulous and um but yeah, you know, this was, you know, this was my call.
0: Let's stick on Hamburg for a little bit because I want to sort of timeline through this and and touch on Hamburg and the World Champs and and get some updates before we do dive into the, the retirement route. specifically. Re- with Hamburg, Andrew, uh, we've obviously had a, a few weeks to reflect, and you know, you guys have had another big Ironman uh, over in Europe since then. Last weekend uh, at Frankfurt, how do you reflect on that and? Um, do yourself and Ironman take responsibility for what happened and, and want to drive change? Um, do you look at it as, as not really your fault and you, you'd done everything that you could do
1: to, to prevent that from happening and it was just unlucky? Well, so, so there's a lot to unpack there. The, the, well, the first thing is, is, I just want to say is that going back to Hamburg, we were going to announce two days after Hamburg, we are going to announce my retirement. That, that was the original plan. And then Hamburg happened, and we said, "All right, obviously we can't do that because that, you know, that's just not going to work." Um, so, so the whole just to put a cap on, like the retirement timing thing, like our, our intention was to do it in June, um, but you know, the situation there w- was such that you know that just wasn't viable. You know, I think we we made changes. In, in terms of how we manage, you know, in particular the front of the race, and, and I was on German television on Sunday with Seb Kienle, and and, and Seb, I thought, did a really nice job of, of sort of framing some of the challenges that everyone in the sport is, is managing, that you've got three things that are happening at the same time at the front of the race when it comes to motos and cameras, and the media, and all of that. You're you're managing safety, you're managing a fair race, and you're managing exposure. And those three things don't always align. And if you want to maximize exposure, you want more cameras, you want more motos, you want to bring more attention to the professional athletes. And that has the potential to get in the way of, you know, your points one and two, which is is the race as safe as you can make it, and is the race completely fair? And so, I think that the plan we had for Hamburg was a good plan. Um, I think in retrospect, you know, and and the changes that we have made are are ones that you know we're dramatically dialing back the number of motos at the front of the race, and. And that I think looking back at some of the specifics, exactly who was on Media Motos, you know, in Hamburg, I think if you know, if, if we were to do it today and, and the way we did it in Frankfurt, there'd be fewer. And there'd be some people who were on motos there that you know, certainly weren't in Frankfurt and, and won't be at, at future races. And and that does come a little bit at the expense of exposure um, But I think given sort of the awfulness of the result and you know fatal incidents are terrible, they happen at our events um, and they're always awful. And so I think our view now is that we're gonna we're gonna turn the dial more towards safety and away a little bit from exposure. And, and I think that's the right thing to do right now.
0: And after that event, Andrew, because there was reports that you were were there for the race, and this was quite a – this is something I've wanted to ask you to get to the bottom of. So there was journalists who reported that you were at the race and failed to act, um, that the race should have been stopped, that the coverage should have been stopped, but it continued to go on because – you know they they were sort of saying that there wasn't strong enough leadership to make a uh, like a hard decision like that and and it was handled poorly and and it was reported that you were there at, at the time and and still no hard decisions got made to sort of stop things or or to change the way the the commentary was being was being talked about and the race was being talked about but then you sort of come out and said well no I wasn't I wasn't even in the same same continent. Can you just clear that situation up for me? Were you there? Um, Who was on the deck making decisions at the time? Was it handled in a way that if it was to happen again, would would be done differently next time?
1: So a a few things. I was asleep in my bed in California and I haven't made an, an international trip until this last weekend when I went to Frankfurt, since I had reconstructive surgery on my knee in April. So the notion that I was there is ridiculous, and the people, the person who wrote that, despite me telling him I wasn't there, continued to write, you know, that I was, which is a very peculiar brand of journalism. Um, But I wasn't there. There's two different things that that I think are important to highlight about sort of what happened in Hamburg at every one of our races the senior operational executive on the ground has full authority and autonomy to manage the race to to start it to delay it to shorten it to cancel it and and we have a series of resources that we make available for the people who are on site and on the ground to be able to make the best possible decision whether that's related to weather to public safety to to anything And everything we've seen and our strong belief is that the decisions that our operating team made around getting medical attention to the people who were affected and the decision to continue the race were made in a timely fashion on the ground and those decisions were sound. That the decision to try to cancel a race in the middle is more dangerous than actually conducting the race because you've got two thousand athletes on a race course, and if you cancel the race, where are they all going to go, and how do they get back to transition? And it it, it it would have been unmanageable, and the team I think rightly decided the safest thing to do is to keep the athletes on the race course and to make sure that you know, we got whatever resources we needed to the three people who were affected by the crash. And that's the photo, the age group athlete, and the driver of the moto. So that's the the operational decision. And those decisions are always made by the person on the ground because they're the people who are coordinating with public safety, medical, the, the host community, and they're the people that have the best information and are best able to make decisions in a timely fashion there's a d- different question about the broadcast and and the broadcast you know ard went off air and we should have too and i think that that was a mistake that our organization made it was it was our error you know we have really good protocols for what happens when something bad happens at a race course when when there is an athlete who's injured when there is a need for medical attention but this was the first time certainly in my tenure that we've had an incident at the front of the race almost always the medical incidents that we have are with age groupers and there's the cameras are 30 kilometers up the road and and we know how to deal with those but the incident that we had in Hamburg took place on live television, and that's never happened to us before. And by staying on air, we I think we did a disservice to our audience because no one wanted to hear about the racing. What people wanted to hear about is what happened to the people who they saw in this terrible crash. And, and so one of the things that we've changed is we've changed you know, our critical incident policies to include everything that's going on in terms of broadcast and live media you know our critical incident protocols include you know when we make statements to the media what we say but up until now they've never included how you handle incidents that happen there's no other way to say it
0: I think something people want to know off the back of that incident and you sort of touched on it before with your changes that you're going to make. So you're going to reduce the amount of of motorbikes on course and you sort of hinted at or subtly said that you're also going to make sure the people driving or operating those motorbikes are going to be better qualified and, and and maybe do it a little bit more often. It sort of sounded like what you said was there was too many at Hamburg, and maybe the people um, operating them weren't experienced in that situation. Does that? Uh, so I guess the question people want to know: Do Iron Man take responsibility for what happened, or do does the responsibility from Iron Man and, and yourself's point of view fall on the individual who was who was operating the motorbike? I think, like I know, it's a tricky one, uh, but but do Iron Man take responsibility for it?
1: I mean, there there is an investigation that's taking place that's being led by the German authorities, and they're trying to understand exactly what happened, and we're participating in that investigation to the extent that the German authorities want us to, and and we'll we'll see what. Are the conclusions of that investigation, and I don't want to, I don't want to get out in front of the people who are doing a careful, thoughtful, broad assessment and analysis of, you know, what happened at that event. Um, and so I don't, I don't want to comment beyond that. But I think the investigation, hopefully, will will shed light on exactly what caused that driver to be where he was when he was there. Um, and I, and I don't think there's more that I can say about that, you know, responsibly
0: and at this stage, whether it be, um, the, the driver's family or people surrounding the driver, the photographer, the age group athlete that was hit. At this stage, is there any legal action being, being like placed against Iron Man? Are, are you guys going to find yourself on the end of any lawsuits? Do you, do you see this situation being one that costs the company a lot of money um, in, in regards to legal action?
1: At, at this point, there, there aren't any actions that we're aware of that have been taken against us. And until something changes, um, I, I don't know what the investigation is going to say. But I believe that you know, we did everything in our power to create a safe race and we'll see what the investigation says.
0: And then rid the age group athlete who was hit who was hit by the motorbike rid the photographer who was mm-hmm. on the back of the motorbike and the, the motorbike uh, operator who, who passed away and his family have Iron Man reached out made contact with um, uh, support are, are they supporting and helping those people involved like with the maybe the age grouper that got hit is uh, Man looking after him in either like a, an emotional support way or or are they volunteering some money to him r- with like race entry and you know getting his life back on track is he missing work um yeah what's Man's role with the the people who are involved post-race
1: look we always follow up on on athletes who are affected and and we do everything that we that we responsibly can to to help them, um, and you know we're grateful and appreciative that uh, that both the photographer on the back of the bike and the age group athlete are going to be okay. And um, you know it was it was scary, and and obviously what happened to the driver of the moto was a tragedy, and and I think we all. You know, grieve for him and uh, and for his family.
0: And my last one on on the specifics there have you have you guys had any anger or ill will directed at you as a company, um, or or maybe even yourself as an individual, being the head of the company, from the families involved um, of of the motorbike driver who passed away or the age group athlete who got hit? Has there been has there been behind the scenes stuff? You know, a lot of anger towards
1: you or or anything like that. Not that I'm aware of. And and you know, it's um. I, I think in general, um. People view, you know, people are. Not easy, to point fingers, um. And and especially when no one really, at this point, there isn't clarity on why what happened happened, um. And so it's hard to be, you know, it's hard to be super angry when you don't know the root cause of what occurred.
0: And then my very last question on the Hamburg situation as a whole, and it it sort of ties in with you retiring, Andrew. Um, The the commentary that you touched on and the coverage that you touched on, it's obviously... I, I try and put myself in that position and it would be a really hard thing watching that happen I know I was watching the race live and and I ultimately had to turn it off i was i just couldn't watch it and I was trying to put myself in a position where I would have to talk about it I did keep coming back to the fact that it would be i, I would find it hard to ignore it and sebastian Keenley who was commentating in, on the german broadcast like you talked about he did a great job he didn't ignore it he was speaking about it um, and, and saying this isn't okay and and he wouldn't let it go which I think is probably the right response rather than going back to talking about the pro race and acting like nothing had happened when um, watching the coverage we'd just seen someone be be hit and we'd just seen a a death live on our screens. But the the iMan Man coverage which you did touch on wasn't wasn't done well and would be done differently next time and and, and you I know that you've told me behind scenes is, is something you regret how it happened. But do do anyone in does anyone particularly involved in that like Greg Walsh is a very senior commentator. He's a as experienced as anyone in the triathlon world does he need to take some responsibility and do Ironman need to maybe think you know we we need some fresh blood in this sport um we need some new people in roles like that Uh, you know was was it not good enough that he'd watched that and then ignored it and continued to talk about you know what a beautiful day it was in Hamburg and things like that because a lot of people have been have been Pushing that sentiment that it wasn't really good enough, and that someone as experienced as that probably should have made better calls on the day.
1: I, I don't want to blame Greg. I, I think that's I think that's really unfair. I, I think he did the best he could in an unprecedented and extremely difficult situation. The, the responsibility shouldn't have come from the commentators. The commentators did the best they could. The commentators didn't have information. We didn't have anything to say other than we all saw a terrible thing happening, but we weren't in a position to talk about exactly what happened and what the implications were. We couldn't answer any of the questions that people who were watching the broadcast had. I think the responsibility you know, goes further up and ultimately lands on my desk. And, and that is we should have turned off the broadcast. And that wouldn't have been Greg's call. It wouldn't have been the commentators. It would have been the producers. and and the head of the media team. And that, you know, we just didn't get that right. But I don't want to pin it on one individual person because I think that's wrong and unfair. And if there's any one person I should get pinned on, it should be me. But Welchie didn't do anything wrong. He did the best he could. And, you know, I, you know, it, it bums me out that, that um we didn't get that right because it caused a bunch of people heartburn and it was inconsistent with i think the aspirational nature of what we all you know want iron man to be and you know we should have we should have turned it off
0: yeah that's one that i've i haven't known what to think about either like is it is it greg walsh's fault is it the commentator's fault it would be a bloody hard situation so I also struggle to put blame on him, but also acknowledge like that was handled pretty like that was that was a shit job. So it's sort of a tricky one, isn't it? But like you said, unprecedented situation, so it's hard. Like, I, I do struggle to judge that one because, yeah, it wouldn't. It, it's just a hard thing to hard thing to know how to how to handle. But I mean, last time we chatted, Andrew, uh, I got to be honest, I didn't respect pretty much anything you said, and I walked away from it thinking like. Uh, and I'm sorry if this is too honest. I walked away thinking like, oh, I don't like that guy. You know, he came across fake, and 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 I didn't believe anything you said. To be honest with you, and I, I got to say that what you just said then was probably, um yeah, probably the first thing I've heard when we've been recording live. That I, I really respect that that you that you did just take ownership and go, well, hey, that's on me. That like I'm the head of this organization. At the end of the day, the buck stops with me. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to <laughs> if I'm gonna, if I'm going to have that last conversation with you like I do and, and and jump on you when I think you're saying things that I disagree with I've also got to give you credit where credits due and um, to, to take ownership like that I think is, is something people respect in a situation like this rather than being like deflecting and, and putting it on to everyone else and you know doing politician answers. I think you know to, to black and white say, hey Buck stops with me that's that's on me I, yeah I, uh, I do want to give you credit for that. Moving on though, um, the world champs, that's been a big thing in the last sort of, you know, six to 12 months of, of your tenure as, as CEO. Is that the biggest thing that's happened in your career? And is the last six months in general, just the biggest, most tumultuous patch of your career? Um, and do you reflecting, do you still think that you've got the the call with world champs being uh, females in Kona, males in Nice, then the next year, males in Kona, females in Nice? Do you think that
1: That you've got that right so i i I do think we've got it right and and but i want to point out that we found ourselves in a situation where we had only two choices and neither of them were perfect and and we were forced By the reality of what happened in October of 2022 in Kona, two days racing Thursday and and Saturday, we we were forced into a choice where we go back to a single day of Kona or two days of racing, a day for women, a day for men, but you couldn't do both in Hawaii. And, And so neither of those choices are perfect. If we go back to one day at Kona, you know, we go back to a field. I mean, we've. I mean, you and I have already gone chapter and verse in you know on on one day in Kona and the women and the age groupers and all that stuff. And we don't need to to replay that particular story, but but that doesn't work for us. And and so and if we really believe like really believe that women deserve their own day. And, and we do believe that by the way, and, and I'm happy to talk in more detail about that if you want, then the only way we're going to get it is by splitting the world championship and splitting the world championship and, and being in Nice and, and being in Kona. It, it was the reaction to the reality of October, 2022. And we'll see how it goes. I mean I'm optimistic about it and and I think it has the potential to be fantastic. It's a big change. There's no one in our organization that doesn't appreciate that it's a big change. And I know there's a bunch of purists who are you know super unhappy and you know they they've made that super clear to me and many other people in the organization. But if we really believe that women deserve their own day the only way we're going to get that is by splitting the world championships and and when i think of ironman in our history and our values on this particular topic i think it's the right call and and that you know from the very beginning you know ironman has been an organization and a race that has embraced and allowed women to compete in in a way and at a time when many others didn't you know when when the first women raced ironman you know there is no olympic marathon for women there is no uci road world championship for women i think the longest event in in the in the olympics in the swimming pool for women was that maybe the 400 meters you know back In the 70s and 80s, there was a widespread belief that women weren't capable of participating in hard endurance events, and Ironman always allowed women to compete on a level playing field for men. There's never been a time when the distances for Ironman were different between men and women. There's never been a time that the cutoffs were different, and even today, today, if you look at the UCI world championships for women. The women are racing a shorter course, but it's never happened at Ironman. We've always had a level playing field. There's never been a time when we didn't have equal prize money for men and women. And we're at a time and at a moment that I think is extraordinary for women's sports. And if you saw the Rugby World Cup last year in Auckland, if you saw the UEFA Women's European Championship that sold out Wembley last year, and down in your world, Jack, where the FIFA World Cup for Women is going to break every record around participation and attendance and viewership, you know, we, we think it's important that women have their own day for a world championship, just like they do for 70.3 worlds. And we really wanted that. We really, really wanted that to be in Kona, but the reality is we just can't. So, you know, it's it's a super consequential decision. You you're exactly right about that. Um it's it's a big bet. Um, but we think that betting on the future of women in Iron Man is the right way to go because otherwise we're we're going backwards. And um and none of us feel good about that.
0: I did my first brick session of the year during the week. Um, The session was a three-hour ride that had eight times eight minutes uh, upper aerobic in the TT position, focusing on holding about 330 watts and and holding a really good time trial position. And I just had two to three minutes break in between. And then the run off the bike was five times one kilometre at 10 seconds just above race pace. And then one kilometre at 10 seconds just below race pace. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I practised my full race nutrition and nailed it and nailing nutrition on sessions like this has always been something I've completely stuffed up and had ended up having like these big patches during the run feeling so low in energy so lethargic so heavy and to be honest just bloody crap and the reason why is because I've spent the last few months really dialing in my race nutrition like making sure I've got it right and I tried so many products which I've already talked about but I, I put so much of my success down to finding precision fuel and hydration gels and drinks because I've been using them for, for most of this year. And I just can't recommend them enough. I haven't got sick in any sessions. I don't have nausea or stomach upsets anymore. I, I haven't like gotten sick of it and been like, oh, I can't have another one of these. Like, and that's happened to me with literally every, every product, Even even like you know, there's a big, 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 nutrition product that everyone seems to be using. But even that I got, I just got so sick of, and it started to make me feel sick. Um, my, my main product that I use from precision fuel and hydration is the PF90 gels. And I used, I try and use one of them per hour on the ride. So I used, I used about three and a half of them for that three hour ride. So I used, yeah, just a little over one per, per hour. Um, and then in the first sort of like kilometer of the run, I, I just like took down a, um, a, a PF30 ca- caffeine gel. I just, I find that on those bricks, if you have that little bit of caffeine at the start of the run, it really does make everything easier from there. And yeah, seriously, I didn't have any like low patches. I didn't have any like of those patches where I feel really like lethargic and 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 have no energy. I felt great from start to finish, and and I ended the session just being like, wow, I could keep going. Like I feel I feel amazing, and uh, it's like I know I understand that it's just because I nailed my nutrition, but it's still a shock to me because I've never been able to do that. Um, even when i was racing much faster than what i what i could ever do now um, i was never nailing my nutrition like i am now so seriously if if you're like me if you struggle with your race nutrition or if you just think you could optimize it a little bit more and and don't think you have it nailed i could not recommend enough that you try precision fuel and hydration if you do want to i have a 15 percent off discount code you can use Um, it's htt23 and you just use that at checkout when you shop with them online seriously can't recommend it enough and if you do want to hammer it just feel to, feel free to send me a message on Instagram if you want to talk about uh, precision fuel and hydration and what products might be right for you or how to use them I'm always only one message away I think the thing with this Andrew is that I agree with much of what you're saying i I, I believe Iron Man do largely do good things for equality in sport and have always promoted the the female pros as much as the male pros, and have always made um, age group female racing accessible uh, to to the women um, the same way you have the men. I don't think anyone would disagree with you. I like we have a we have one of the few sports in the world that's that's been pretty pro equality for a long time. I, d- I don't think people disagree, and and I know that. Look, I have no doubt. I'm not questioning you, you that whether you're being genuine or not. I believe you in saying that it's important that we, that, that you say the women have their own day, and I, I think that is important to the company. And I think that promoting the the female side of the sport and growing the female side of the sport is important to the company. The, the the only thing I the only thing I wish I could I wish I heard from you, Andrew, is is about the finances. Like I I don't I don't understand why you don't talk about it. I, I understand the corporate push of like hey, this is the message we want to send. This is the, the PR message. And I'm not saying it's fake because I, I genuinely believe you and I do believe that's important mm-hmm. for the company. But I would look at your tenure over the, the 12 years you've been CEO of Ironman. And if, if someone said, well, you know, what's because people think that I wouldn't say anything positive about you. But if someone asked me, what's the best thing Andrew Messick's done for the, for the, for the sport of triathlon or for Ironman? I think, without question, the best thing you've done is make make Ironman a lot of money. I think you're a brilliant businessman who has, you know, who has raised prices to the point where it's it's a it's a very profitable thing for the company, and the demand's still there. So people are are clearly willing to pay the price because all your events are sold out, and and you've got a lot of events around the world, and, and that's a growing number. So I don't, I just don't really understand why you. Why you don't come out and say like, hey, this is this what like the Ironman World Champs thing? We want two days because it means more people can race, and more people racing means more money for Ironman, and that's at the end of the day what what is what is the the best thing for our business, and it's the only it's the the only thing that matters to you know our investors who want their money back. I, th- I think that's the thing I don't understand. Because yes, I, I understand that you're being truthful and you do care about equality and, and it's really important to you. But I, I also know for a fact that the finance financial side of things is equally as important. But I do think
1: you don't talk about that. Well, I mean, I think I have to say, Jack, I think that's a super cynical, you know, way to think about it. Like like any business, you know, you have to have customers. And you have to look out for your customers, and you have to continually find ways to bring your customers back and to offer your customers great experiences. And and sure, we're a for-profit company, and and we have, you know, and and we're not ashamed of that. But you know, the the notion that we're deciding to do two days of Kona or two days of world championships you know because it's a money grab it is just not really consistent we there's other ways we could have done more and and made more and by splitting the world championship having a race in nice a race in kona yeah we can have more athletes but we've also got the costs associated with two races and not just two races but two races on two different continents and like that's super expensive and it's super challenging and so by splitting the world championship you know th- this is not like a scheme to like become massively rich if we done if you know and so you know i i appreciate that but you know the way that we're going to be successful in the long term is to build iron man and to continue to create races that people want to do and create experiences that people want to be a part of and and so you know i i think all of us that are a part of this business are a part of this business because we love it and we love iron man and there's none of us that would do what we hope do for a living and work as hard as we do and sacrifice as much as we all sacrifice and, you know, endure the criticisms that we do if we didn't really love it. And loving it isn't about optimizing every single dollar. Loving is about feeling satisfaction and feeling like we're making a difference in people's lives. And the expansion of Iron Man is something that I'm really proud of. And I'm really proud that we brought races to the Middle East, and we brought races to Eastern Europe, and we brought more races to Latin America, and we brought more races to Asia. And if you go to those races, what, what you find is that there's people in Vietnam and in Uruguay and in Argentina and in Dubai and in Bahrain and in Egypt and in Poland and in Estonia, all of whom have had the, the same opportunity that you and I had, have our life changed by the participation in these events. And you know, that has been you know, enormously rewarding. And, and when you have that expansion, you've got more and more people that want to participate in the dream of competing in a world championship. And you find that, you know, this one little race in Kona that can only fit 2,550 people just isn't big enough to fulfill the demand from athletes all over the world. Because it isn't, Ironman isn't just Australia, in New Zealand, in Japan, in Germany, in Canada, in the United States anymore. And it used to be. And that's what it was 20 years ago, but it isn't anymore. And so part of what we've worked enormously hard to do over my tenure is to create races around the world. And one of the byproducts of that is that those people want to participate in world championships too. And you need... Enough space to put them. Sticking
0: on the 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 financial side of the business for a second, Andrew, I want to speak to you more like now as a retired CEO. I know you're still in the role until until you find the the the, the candidate who's going to take over from you later on in the year. But do you do you? Because I know like you speak about equality, and we we talked about this last time. Like I hate old people. Um, <laughs> do you think that? that maybe the the pricing of Ironman events has gotten a little too steep or are you comfortable with it Do you, and you don't think it prices people out of the sport?
1: I don't think it prices people out of the sport. Um, I think that our events are fairly priced for what people get and what virtually everybody gets is a life-changing experience. And, and, One that is, you know, of the highest quality and one that is super rewarding. And, you know, we do surveys for our athletes and by and large, our athletes tell us consistently across years and across regions that they're extremely satisfied with our events and that they are vociferous and enthusiastic supporters of our events and you know and I, d- I don't think that we're unfairly pressed
0: and so now talking about your your replacement um you've you've released that you're going to stay on uh, on the board of directors and and maintain your 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 position as a stakeholder in the company so you're not going to fully step away how big a, a, a part are you going to have to play in picking the next person and then when that, that next person takes over how big a part do you foresee in you not dictating what they do, but, you know, being there to to help them and guide them in their early stages. Do you think you'll be heavily involved or do you think you'll let them come in and, and basically do whatever they want and, and you'll sort of take a backward step?
1: Well, you know, I'm involved in, as a board member, I'll be involved in the selection of, of the new CEO and, and I'll have a voice in that. The My ongoing role is going to be determined to a large extent by the needs and desires of whoever the n- new person is. I want to make myself available and helpful and, and be helpful and help them navigate, you know, our organization and our sports, because you know, we're not just triathlon, we're running and cycling and mountain biking and trail running. And, you know, we we do a lot of different things and we have a, a big and complicated organization and I'll be as supportive and as active as they want me to be. Just as Ben Furtick, when when I walked in the door 12 years ago, he was helpful to me as I got my feet underneath me and really figured out what we needed to do to take the business to the next level. Um, And I'll do the same for the new person. And if they want me involved, more I'll be involved more if they want me involved less I'll be involved less
0: and do you as a company have a vision for who might take over or do you personally Andrew have you know qualities or experience that you think you want in the the, the person who's going to take over do you want it to be someone external or outside of Ironman as a company who might be a big CEO at another sport or at another big business do you want it to be someone who you guys have been grooming, coming up um, through the ranks in Ironman. Do you want it to be an ex-pro athlete who has business business experience? Do you want it to be someone who is completely not involved in the sport and doesn't know triathlon? What is it that you see in in, or what is it that you guys are seeking in the the next CEO of Ironman?
1: Well, I think there's there's a lot of sort of conventional things that we'll evaluate candidates on, and and those relate to. Their experience, the leadership in various organizations, um their functional capabilities around you know marketing or finance or operations, um, you know their geographic experience, whether they've you know, worked broadly across multiple uh, countries or territories or whether they've been focused, you know particularly in in one area over the course of their career. Um, and, and those are all fairly straightforward search criteria. Um, I, I think the thing that is going to be the difference maker is their passion for Ironman, and and I think that's one of the things that you know I've brought in my twelve years. You know, I was uh, I was an Ironman athlete before. You know, I did the job. I I understood. You know, I'd been at the races. I'd I'd competed. You know, in multiple races, multiple times in multiple countries. And and I think that the passion and understanding the passion that our athletes have for Ironman is a real difference maker. I think it's really important that whoever the new person is, they understand like really on a very emotional level. How much our athletes care, and and how important Ironman is to the Ironman community, um, because if you don't understand that, it's it's really hard to get traction. Because you know our, our community of of athletes it isn't that big. You know there's you know quarter million people do an Ironman or an Ironman seventy point three every year around the world. It's not a huge group of people, but it's an extraordinary group of people. And it's an, and it's a group of people that cares a lot. And if you're not prepared to deal with that level of engagement, lots of people are going to tell you exactly what they think. And if you're not prepared for that, uh, my guess is it's pretty uncomfortable.
0: Over your tenure as CEO, Andrew, do you, uh, I want to, I want to, what, what's the highlight of your time as, as being CEO? And then maybe what's the low light?
1: I mean, the, the highlights are, I mean, there's a lot of highlights. Every time I stand at a finish line and, and and watch somebody come across, it's, you know, what I feel is it's the culmination of that person's journey and you know and that's an amazing thing to feel like you've got a role in and and to be a part of and the fact that i've been a part of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people crossing ironman finish lines um is a very very meaningful and rewarding thing for me the the, the low lights are if you really care like if you really care about the races and The experience that our athletes have, you know, it's really hard when things go wrong. It's hard on you. It's really hard on you when things go wrong. And things go wrong because, you know, there's an athlete death in the swim. Things go wrong because a race gets canceled because of a forest fire or smoke. Things go wrong because, you know, there's a mudslide in Switzerland in the middle of a race and we have to cancel it. And, and, and if you really believe in what we're trying to do, and you care about the athletes, every one of those things hurts. And you know, my wife tells me all the time that you know, I I, I had a day ruined two weeks ago because we had to cancel our seventy point three in Toronto lot, you know, the morning of the race because of smoke from the wildfires in in northern Canada. And you know that wears on you, you know, and it's you you think about. The 3,000 athletes who were at the start line and everything that they put into those races and how excited they were and for it not to be safe to put them on a race course and have to cancel that race, it hurts. But as my wife always says, she's like she's like Andrew, like what's wrong with you? Like you're not responsible for, you know, the state of Canadian forests and fighting fires up there. I mean, like get a grip. Um, but if you really care, it's hard to find separation and, uh, and it wears on you.
0: I reckon myself as a fan of the sport and someone who has done a lot of racing, um, at, at Ironman events and, and just triathlon events events in general and cares about it deeply. There's like a few core things that matter to me. And like, we've touched on safety, safety really matters to me. And like that Hamburg, Hamburg fucked me up, Andrew. Um, I have nothing to do with it. I don't know anyone involved. I, I have no there's probably no reason for it to have the effect on me it did but like i i like i was like like tearing up and stuff mate it, it like really impacted me and i think it's cuz you said um people who uh, are involved in this sport they care deeply like it becomes a massive part of their life and i think everyone who's, who's listening to that probably relates to that and, and agrees with that um so i'm i'm no different there and safety matters to me and like i think uh, i was trying to think like what do i wish i could i could like See Andrew do in the last six months of his of his tenure, and I think safety is the big one. Like we we do have people die regularly, or more regularly than we might hope on Ironman courses, like heart attacks in the swim. I know there's been some bike stuff in the past, and then this this one that we've seen. Like I wish I know that a lot of it is really tricky, and it's like it is a risky sport, and we do need to acknowledge that it is a risky sport. But uh, you know that's something I'd love to see you really focus on in in your time. the last six months in the sport and make a really positive impact there i know like you've taken responsibility for stuff and said hey the buck stops with me i know that at frankfurt i, I mean I, again i've got to i do have to commend you a little bit frankfurt was better frankfurt for sure was better a lot of reports that were, were that were that it were better from people racing and so it's good that we're seeing improvement there and i mean i would just i would just love to see that that improvement continues and we sort of don't go while well, hamburg never happened because i'd hate that event to be forgotten about like I think that would be super disrespectful to the athlete hit to the motorcyclist who who died whether whether he was slightly you know in the wrong or not I think it's irrelevant I just think to the the memory of someone who died in a preventable way on on a triathlon race course I don't I don't even want that to be an Ironman issue I think it's a triathlon issue challenge have fucking dangerous races too and and as dangerous as Ironman and and I think you know anyone who's been to any triathlon would, would see that so I do want to, like, push that. The other thing I thought of, is that like, when I'm trying to think of, like, what do I think Ironman could do better? And pricing is one of them, but I know you're comfortable with that. The other aspect around that, so say if you have bought a, a race entry and you've spent, you know, 1000 bucks on it or 1500 bucks on it, you know, big money. Um, if you – triathlon's a tricky sport where you train really hard for it, you get injured, you get sick – I would love to get to the bottom of this, you know, if you have to pull out late, well, there's like a time limit. So if it's in like whatever it is, the last couple of weeks, you can't pull out and you can get it pushed to another date, but that might not work for you. I was wondering if there is any chance that that, that Ironman can sort of make that a little bit more customer friendly. Like, hey, we understand how hard it is to train for one of these events. We understand pullouts are going to happen because you're sick or you're injured or you you know you've got to 3 weeks out and you've just realized hey I'm not fucking ready to do this thing and you know we, we and and give people refunds for that because it's a lot of money and the the journey to you go on to do an Ironman, man it can be tough mate like you can get sick or injured or you you literally can just go no I'm not confident enough to do this but then you got then you start questioning do I even want to do another one well I'm not sure maybe I'll sign up for another one but then you email Ironman man and they go no it's no no you we can maybe it onto another race no refund i just wondered if that was one thing at the end of your tenure we could fix because i do think that's a big issue
1: so i i feel responsible to point out that you know in my tenure we've created programs for deferrals we've created programs for transfers we've changed and and liberalized our, our policies a lot over the years and 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 i want to highlight one of the things that we worry about and and one of the things we worry about is we first, we want to be respectful for people whose lives have changed, people, you know, who, who are injured, like we appreciate all of that and and we're not hard-hearted with respect to that. But here's what we don't want to happen. What we don't want to happen is for somebody to sign up for four races, knowing they're only going to do one. And and this is something that, by by large, we get a preview of with our professional athletes. And and our professional athletes, as as I'm sure you know, you know they pay a, a one fee to become part of the professional membership. And then they can do as many races as they want to for free. And, and so they get an an open, you know, if you buy the season, you know, the full season membership, you can race as much as you want to. And what we see with our professional athletes is our professional athletes in general sign up for about three times as many races as they actually go to. And so they they have safety races. You know, my main focus is, is race A. But in case I'm not fully fit, I'll also sign up for a race two weeks later. I'll also sign up for a race, you know, six weeks later. And 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 within our system, that's fine. It's not a huge thing for us to administer. We don't have that many professionals and we've got a full-time dedicated staff. If we had policies that let anybody get their money back seven days before a race, our fear is that people would sign up for four or five races, knowing they were only going to do one. And, and because a lot of our races are in really high demand, that creates a huge problem for us because now all of a sudden, how, how do we know that we're going to have like a full, you know, a full race full of athletes, if people can sign up for multiple races and then, you know, whenever they want to just say, okay, I'm not going to do it. You know, it's a, you know, it's a fully refundable race and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pull the pin and, and get my money back. And and maybe somebody else didn't get a chance to race. So I, I know there's a lot of rebuttals to what I just said, but, but I want you to be mindful that that's something that we worry about and we worry about quite a lot. As we think about how do we make sure that our races really are full, um, we don't want to create incentives for people to do things like that.
0: With your last sort of six months in the job, Andrew, and then with the, the the CEO who's going to take over, do you see a world where you guys keep operating as sort of Iron Man and, and Iron Man alone, or is there a world where Iron Man, you know, extend a like an olive branch type thing to the PTO and challenge and say, "Hey, let's work together on some issues in the in the sport, and let's get some unity on some issues in the sport, like safety, which I'm harping on about. Let's get together and um, implement, you know, uh, protocols and policies that all racers must cut must have to like abide by if they're going to run one of these things, and 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 then get you know as a collective working together to make sure races are safe. And then on on some other things like professional policy, like there's so many different rules in in professional racing these days, and I think we're seeing it a lot lately with technology, like. You know Patrick Lang's shoes in in Roth, or Joe Skipper's bike at Ironman Texas, or you know wh- whatever it is. Is there a chance that you, uh, as one of your last acts, bring the three companies together, the three main companies, Ironman by far being the biggest, and go, hey, let's get some unity around some things, get a, a universal rule book that every professional must abide by, and therefore that'll probably um, over time going to age group racing as well. So there's no confusion. Like you can do this at this race, but not that at that race and that at that race, but not that at this other race. And then, yeah, like the safety thing and yeah. And just, yeah. And just collab and, and unite on a few like select
1: important issues. Well, we, we went through a a big process that took what more than a year, probably a year and a half, you know, pre pandemic with world triathlon, on to consolidate long distance rules and and to really look to bring together you know the Ironman rules and you know the what was then still the ITU's rules to have a consistent set of long course rules for all of our races around the world and and that was super effective um and and I think we're always open to working with anyone around what are the right rules i think there is a big question about whether rules should be different for pros and age groupers i think there there's like philosophically i think that is not a a trivial or a simple question you know part of you know the appeal of ironman has always been you know everybody's racing with the same rules on the same day the same course the same cutoffs the same everything and so i think there's a, a lot of thought would need to go into whether you separate, pro have different rules for pros and age groupers. I mean, we do that a little bit to the extent with like wetsuits and stuff, but but by and large we don't. Um, you know, and and so I, I think there's a lot of ideas that are out there around you know draft zones and stuff like that that I'm certainly amenable to having a a, a more thoughtful. Broader conversation, um, but all of those conversations are not simple. And you know, you, you hear a lot about the twenty meter drop zone, and like really thinking that through is not trivial. Um, you know, if to if you're going to come to the conclusion that it's a good idea, um, and and certainly our technical people are are have not been persuaded that that it is. Um, but we're we're not averse to talking to other constituents about how do we for our athletes how do we create a consistent racing experience? I think that's in everybody's interest in the sport.
0: I don't want to go back and 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 harp on the world championships thing, but I do have like some some questions that I maybe saw saw as things that could be answered quickly and we could just touch on. Um, the first one is are the world championships at Nice, are the slots being taken or, cause I, I get sent a lot of rumor or a lot of like stories that I don't witness firsthand. So I just wanted to, to ask you directly um, like, you know, rumors that at Ironman UK, the, the slots go down to people finishing 90th uh, and that kind of thing, not taken up by anyone close to someone who deserved it uh, in quotation marks, I guess. Uh, are, are, is the, are those, are those reports true and has it been hard to fill up slots at Nice and people, uh, are not taking them like they would do if it was at Kona.
1: Well, so this this round for both Kona and 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 Nice is unusual because we've had truncated um, qualifying cycles, and and so I think there's there's going to be you know, slots have rolled a lot farther for both men and women than than they have historically, largely because there's more slots. I, I think the thing. That we look carefully at is are the very fastest people taking their world championship slots? And the experience that we're getting and the reports we're getting is that yes, the very fastest people are taking the slots. Are there plenty of other people who are not nearly as fast that are also getting into the race? That's true too. And so What we're going to see is we're going to see, I think at both Nice and Kona, we're going to see the pointy end of the field in every age group is going to be as competitive or more competitive than they've ever been, but there'll be more people who are further back as well. And that's not unexpected, and I think it, it will take a few years to get back to Sort of something more consistent that we've seen, which is, you know, if you're not in the top, you know, ten or fifteen percent of your age group, you really don't have a chance to qualify. Um, I think that uh, that's that's not going to happen certainly in the twenty three cycle. It might happen in twenty four. Certainly at Kona, it will. Um, but um, but it's going to take a little bit of time, and we're expecting that.
0: And if as a company you guys see next year, like the next um, qualifying cycle, again, the the slots being not taken quite uh, as much as what they were in the past when both races are at, are at Kona. Do you think that two year sort of like experiment for, for lack of a better word of the split championships, do you think then it would be like, Oh, okay, do we need to re- revisit this and try and make Kona work? Do, or do we need to um, accept that Kona isn't going to work and, uh, revisit the idea of having both races at the same location and it just be somewhere different? Or do you think um, that that the one of the lasting impacts you'll have as CEO is that this split is happening and it will be staying like this regardless?
1: So I really hope that we're able to consistently have two days of racing. Like, I really hope that works. Um, but we're also an extraordinarily pragmatic organization. We're event operators. You know, we deal with the reality on the ground every day of the week. And if it just doesn't work, then we'll have to see where that takes us.
0: And then another sort of tough question for you to answer, I assume, but I still want to ask it. And we we briefly touched on it. Did any part of you consider stepping away completely, one hundred percent and and having nothing to do with the company so that it could have you know, maybe a fresh start, a fresh set of eyes, a, a fresh feel and and not have your fingerprints on it or your influence still on it because you've been in the job for so long? Or was that never a consideration and you were always gonna stay on and, and influence behind the scenes in some capacity, even even though it's not as as the role of CEO
1: I want this organization to succeed. I want Iron Man to succeed and if the success of Iron Man requires me to continue to be involved, I'll continue to be involved. If the success of Iron Man requires me to not be involved, then I'll step away and I'll just be an age grouper again, which is how I started and you know, if I spend my 60s, you know, in an age grouper, I'll be happy.
0: So, Andrew, is there any, like, uh, stories over the last 12 years, any, like, I know I've had conversations with you off air, and, and you've told some funny stories that are off the record, and you know like there there may be stories that would be tough to to go to air uh not that they're anything wrong or that you've done anything wrong in them or anything like that they're just sort of like personal stories um you know that 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 happen behind the scenes but is there any is there any behind the scenes stories from your twelve years in the sport that you think people would would be interested in or like to know that that haven't seen the light of day
1: you know part of what I think is amazing about Iron Man is that Every athlete has their own story, and and everyone who comes across the finish line is finishing their own journey. Um, you know, I, I've you know we're we're inducting into the Hall of Fame this year Natasha Bodman and uh, Carlos Melita. You know, Carlos is you know uh, you know I I, I don't. Not everyone knows who Carlos is, but he was the first really exceptional wheelchair athlete at at Ironman. And and he had these incredible competitions with this guy named David Bailey. And Bailey was a motocross racer who ended up in a wheelchair during an accident. And Carlos was uh, a member of the United States Special Forces who got shot in combat and ended up in a wheelchair. And, you know, these guys like raced like crazy. And Carlos is, I think he's won five hand cycle world championships. And um, and the privilege I've had of being able to interact with him as, you know, somebody who has overcome so much and, you know, he's like John McClain in a lot of ways, you know, you you, you look at. Folks like that, and there's lots of them, um, who have really overcome just extraordinary adversity and have found their way to our races and have decided that one of the ways they want to prove themselves, and it is you know to do an Ironman. To be able to help them is amazing, and to be there at the finish line when they come across is amazing. And it just you recharges your belief in what people can do like in just the power of positive thinking and will. You know, that's the best part of the job. Just the best part of the job.
0: So before we start this episode Andrew because uh last time when we we when we did our episode uh it, it ended with you ultimately getting incredibly sick of me and uh and we'd, we'd been going back and forth being combative for about you know 45 minutes 50 minutes straight and 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 you said no i've had enough of this guy and 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 left the episode and before the episode this time i sort of asked you how long you had you said an hour we're we're right around that now so i don't want another walk off um uh, <laughs> I, I want to respect your time so i think i think we we might wrap it up there um thanks for coming on i know that it can't necessarily be that easier thing for you to come on my podcast because I, I do sort of ask you some hard questions and I know there's there's other media sources in, in this sport who rely on Man a lot and, and do softball you a little bit so I don't want to do that um, but I did want to have a, a bit more of a respectful conversation this time and um, find some common ground and, and talk about your career a little bit because you know, it's not all bad despite what people might think that I think about you that the, the I-Man as a company is a, a bloody amazing company like you've talked about. And and again, I'm not saying I agree with everything that I-Man do, but what I am saying is I-Man's changed my life for sure for the better. Um, I talk about it every single week and every single day to be honest and the races have changed my life. They really have and the reality is you were the ceo of the company when i first started racing and and those races that that you and the company make possible you know they they changed my life so i don't want to come on here and and shit on you and and say like oh this sucks this you know you did this poorly this poorly cuz there is good too mate for sure and and i do want to thank you honestly um for for doing the hard role even if i have disagreed with you you know mildly at times disagreed with you very strongly at times you know had periods where I think I hate this guy periods where I think you know that job's actually really hard I respect that I I do want to point out that it's 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 not black and white and that I don't personally dislike you or dislike the company like a lot of people probably think I do and and I hope that I could show this throughout this conversation and and show that to you and and yeah let you know that I respect you for coming on probably thinking that um you know you're going to come on and I'm going to go at you again. So like, honestly, it was pretty, pretty brave interview for you to take. You could have gone and taken five or six softball interviews on, on the day you retired and, and know that you were going to get asked soft questions and, you know, it'd be all, all roses and butterflies, but you didn't do that. You actually made the, the hard choice to, to come on the one show that you knew you were going to get tough questions. So I think as a, as a act on your day of retirement, that's a, that actually is decently strong leadership, mate. And, and six months ago, uh, I didn't think of you much as, as as a leader after our conversation, but I'm actually leaving this one thinking uh, maybe I was a little bit wrong, and 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 you know you actually you actually have shown really great leadership today um, on this conversation, and so yeah, I, I mean if I'm going to criticize you, I got to commend you as well. So um, yeah, that's that, mate, and and thank you again, and and uh, hopefully the the last six months for you in the job are are good ones for you personally and, and hopefully we can continue to make some good change for you, for for the benefit of the company for the next person who takes over and for the future of the sport and um, you've given me some hope on this conversation mate so yeah thank you
1: look I, I, I appreciate that Jack and, and look you know one of the things that is extraordinary about the Ironman community is that people care they really care and while, you know, I I have, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with everything you said either, um, but I don't doubt your commitment. And, and, and so, you know, I've got a lot of time for people who are committed, you know, and, and who like have the crazy passion for Iron Man, and, and, you know, they were kind of family in that way. And, uh you know, and, you know, families argue a lot and they don't always agree, but, you know, we understand that we're all starting from, you know, a place of sort of common ground, which is, you know, there's these races and they've changed our lives and we want more people to have the opportunity to be exposed to that. And, and so, you know, while I don't agree with everything you have to say, I I don't, question your commitment and uh and so i'm always prepared to have you know to put myself in the firing line for uh for people who are coming from you know the from the right place
0: and i think the biggest the biggest uh positive to come out of this episode no one is going to tease you uh for eating on the podcast this time that was you must be hungry i know you're going for dinner after this surely you consider it a snack
1: i i consider it a snack but uh but I was I was mocked too cruelly by <laughs> all the trolls that follow you.
0: <laughs> hey, they're, they're not trolls. They're not trolls. They just... Uh, uh, some of them
1: are. <laughs>
0: they saw it for the disrespect that was, Andrew.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, mean, I mean, it's, uh, you know, yeah, I hear you.
0: Yeah, funny, mate. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, we're leaving on a more positive note than last time. That's good. That's good. We'll all be- right. All right, have a good dinner. Uh, enjoy the rest of your, your your retirement day. I'm sure we'll chat again because there's there's hours more uh, in this chat, but you've got dinner to get to. It's it's late where you are. You've had a massive day. Um, good luck with the retirement tour. Go on the go on a little bit of a tour and enjoy it. And uh, we'll chat again soon. And I'll see you over at the World Championships in Nice. And, you know, maybe over there when we can have a bit more of a combative chat in person uh, over a couple of years. That can, sounds like fun. Yeah, an off-the-record argument over a couple of years. All right, mate.
1: <laughs> All right. Take care. See you. See bye-bye.
0: Bye. I've already talked about my brick session that I did during the week, my first one for the year. And there was one other thing that made it really fun. It's that I really dialed in and replicated everything I would do on race day. And I mean everything from how I ate beforehand to slept the night before to got re- like getting ready in the morning. And a big part of it was wearing my brand new Win Republic tri-suit that I ordered about two months ago and has just been hanging up in my wardrobe in my wardrobe waiting for me to race and just waiting to get used and i was gonna use i was gonna save it for race day but i couldn't wait any longer like i just keep looking at every day and i I love it i think it looks amazing and i've loved my my old tri suits from win republic that i've used in the past so i just wanted to feel like i was racing for my session because i haven't raced much lately and, and missed it so um like i'm honestly not just saying it but i've borderline hated every other tri suit i've ever worn in fact, I'd go as far to say as I have hated every other tri-suit I've ever worn. And the main reasons were that all around how they made me feel in them, they were like either too tight in places or just didn't fit right. And to be honest, some of them made me feel pretty self-conscious in them. And I think that's the thing I love most about the Win Republic suits I've worn in the past and why I was so excited to try my new one it's just they're so bloody comfy, they fit so well and they use materials that I don't really understand the technicalities of it as well as I should but they just feel great on and they don't give me any feeling of them being too tight around like my arms or around my belly and I don't know if, if I'm completely alone in this because I haven't really heard anyone talk about it but I think feeling good in a triathlon race, race suit is one of the most underrated things that, that you can like seek to, to find in triathlon so if you're like me with that, then seriously, grab yourself a Win Republic tri-suit. They, they also feel really fast on the bike and have lots of handy storage for nutrition. And again, the comfort really does present itself on the run. And I just honestly can't recommend them enough because of that. Um, while you're on their website, make sure you check out their cycling and running kit as well. They make so many great jerseys and bibs for the bike and, um, and have a whole variety of great running running gear as well i'd say the main thing win republic is known for is having the best looking suits and and you know training gear in the triathlon world and i do agree with that but the things i talked about above um, are what i really love about them as a brand and why i was buying them way before they ever supported this podcast so yeah if you want to try it for yourself um, then jump onto win republic's website and make sure you use the discount code tth15 for 15 percent off your order